0: Welcome, folks, to the 13th episode of No Conference for Old Men, the podcast where three old guys are talking Houston Cougars basketball with a bit of Big 12 conference coverage as well, and proud members of com network, the undisputed number one Houston Cougars content provider around. Now into our third full week of Big 12 play, Coach Sampson and our Cougars have righted the ship at 4-2 and two in conference play after going 2-0 and oh for the week with a defensive masterpiece shutting down UCF at home and then turning around for a quick trip to BYU, where we limited the second most prolific three-point offense in the country to 29% from threes in a grinding win on the road. So today, it's all three of us back again with Tom Lidiak, former coach, Bill Walker, former player, and myself, Steve Chang, analytics guy, for this week's episode. And we'll start off by summarizing Houston's two games this past week, Each of us will then provide an update on the key Big 12 games we individually highlighted, then move into a deep preview of the upcoming Kansas State and Texas games coming up this week, and finally identify some additional Big 12 games each of us will be zeroing in on. Okay, let's get right into it, guys. Two great wins where we faced two tough defensive teams again with a scary offensive team in BYU as well. Just life in the Big 12 every single week except when you play West Virginia and Okie State, that is. In recapping the two games played, let's start with the UCF game. So, Tom, what are your coach's thoughts on our 57-42 win over UCF?
1: I have three words for you. Defense, defense, defense. Historical uh, performance on defense by our Cougs. UCF just, you know, don't even think about making a shot. They, had, they just had difficulty getting off a shot. It was a bad matchup for UCF. Big guys couldn't really hurt us. Uh, you know, they do a lot of the pick and roll stuff like everybody else does. But their guys aren't pick and pop guys. They're not, not really short rollers. They're not playmakers. So that plays uh, right into our hands. I kind of think UCF is kind of a poor man's uh, U of H, just the way they play. Bill will probably touch on this, but their, their big scorers are Jalen Sellers and Darian jo- I think it's Darius Johnson. But it is. Bill Bill will tell you just, you know, anytime, you know, your guards are your best scores, it's not good for you when you play U of H because the way our guards play defense, just our team defense, the way we guard pick and roll, things like that. So it was just an an incredible defensive effort by U of H. I had some notes here, uh, you know, some positive things still in the office and, you know, Jawan, he likes to go over his, you know, right shoulder for that left-handed hook, and they kind of took that away. He made two right-handed hooks. He, he did. He did. You know, impressed. When, yeah, and I can never understand when Fabian played why anybody would allow him to shoot a little jump hook over his left shoulder. You know, somehow he was able to post up from like 18 feet and then kind of backhand, 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 and then shoot his little jump hook instead of making him finish with his left hand. Well, like, kind of the same thing with, you know, Jawan. He made a couple of right handed jump hooks, and even uh, Javier made uh, a sweet little left handed uh, jump hook. And, you know, he's going to continue to get better as the season goes on. And then coming back next year, he'll be more of, a, of an offensive player for, for us. But yeah, just in a, in a, in a nutshell, if it wasn't for uh, free throws, UCF would have had a tough time.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It was incredible. Bill, about from a player's perspective, what was your view?
2: Well, on the one hand, it was a very good game. On the other hand, it, it was a pretty ugly game. The good certainly is defense. I mean, holding them to the lowest field goal percentage, 15.9% in the history of the Big 12, Big 8, Big whatever. I mean, that that's pretty impressive in your first season in the conference. They also only shot 19% from three, 14 points in the first half. Tom, you led right into what I had written down. Their two best players, Jalen Sellers and Darius Johnson. They shot a combined for the game, 0 of 13, 0 of 6 from three. They totaled seven points, all free throws. Just completely shut them down. You know, for the game, their team made – Seven shots, four of which were threes. They didn't hit their first two until 10:18 left in the game. I mean, that, that's almost three quarters of the game before they hit a non three pointer. I mean, that's yeah. we were at the game watching it, and we—that's what we were focusing on. We're like, <laughs> when is it going to happen? If it happens, and and finally, we were just disappointed. We're like, oh God, they finally did it at the 10:18 <laughs> mark, which is. It's Unbelievable. Nuts. You know, individually, I, I thought Javier, again, played a really solid game. He, you know, yep. the one thing that I like that he's doing now that he wasn't doing earlier in the year, when he gets the ball, he keeps the ball up. He, he doesn't bring it down and kind of gather himself, which allows, you know, smaller guys to swipe at the ball yep. and, and forces turnovers, forces him to go up and not shoot the ball authoritatively he keeps the ball up and he's going up and he's dunking a ton of shots and and it's been incredibly effective and he's really playing well you know crier didn't have the greatest shooting game actually none of the Cougs did other than javier but crier shot better and he had four steals you know shed didn't do a whole lot offensively but seven boards five assists four steals and uh Sharp had a tough game. He had foul trouble the entire game. And, and of course, Jawan hurt his knee and went out. But what that allowed was for both Ramon and for Milik Wilson to get more minutes. And, and both of them, I thought, took advantage of that. I thought they, they both played well. Wilson had seven boards. We're hoping that he'll step up to kind of fill the backup point guard role and help Jamal uh, rest a little bit. I think he only had one assist, but yeah. I thought he played solidly, and you know he played well. And the team had 11 steals, so you know that's absolutely the positive. The bad is that if we had shot reasonably well, and we shot 34 and percent from the field, 33 percent from three, if we shoot well from the field, we do not win this game by 12. We win this game by 32 or more. It was just an ugly game, and. You know, nobody made shots.
0: Well, I mean, they, give, they give.
2: literally made no shots.
0: Yeah, I mean, they they've got a tough D as well, right? So we got to give UCF credit. As well, here,
2: yeah, we we're still missing some some shots inside. Roberts hit, as you mentioned, a couple, but we're missing some open shots and some inside shots. And and Calvin alluded to that as well. It should have been a bigger win. Roberts hurting his knee certainly goes under the bad, not due to anything negative that anyone did. Hopefully he'll continue to get the treatment that he needs and it'll limit his bench time. The other negative was Dunn only played 12 minutes. He got yanked a few times early by Kelvin and uh, very quickly. And he just looked a bit lost kind of on both ends of the court. He played 12 minutes compared to Ramon's 19 and and Miley's 22. And, and I just, Dunn just looked like he kind of didn't show up for the game. And the last thing, and, and you both have alluded to this as well, is the free throws and the fouls. They had scored us 24-11 at the line. And when I say this is bad, I, I think it's also a little bit bad on the officials. I think maybe human nature dictates that when it's such a rout and when the other team is so overmatched that maybe they'll blow a whistle a little more often than they might otherwise. And I think that led to the really ugly game as well because, you know, once again, you're not able to get into a rhythm offensively and the game is being stopped every 45 seconds or so. I think if we were a little more effective offensively, and I'll give UCF some credit, Steve, but not a whole hell of a lot. I I think we we should have won this game by 30-35.
0: yeah. I'll always tend to give our opponents a bit more credit. They're a top 25 defensive team in the country. They beat KU, they beat Texas. Give them credit, right? I mean, for our team, the starters remain the same. Shed, Cryer, Sharp, Roberts, and Francis, as you guys both stated, we dominated defensively from start to finish. Really statistically you can argue our greatest game ever on D under Samson. But the team started fast, taking a 28-14 lead at the half. And I know some fans will say, but yeah, this was UCF. But they were just coming off, as I stated, big wins over KU, narrow loss to BYU, and then another big win at Texas. So this UCF team is not the same team we've been playing in the American, right? They were actually, when I said top 25, they were actually 17th ranked D in defensive adjusted efficiency coming in to the game based on Ken Palm. We also thoroughly dominated the game. It you know it allowed for Roberts to sit and rest his knee, as you guys mentioned, which is great. You guys both highlighted Ramon Walker and Malik Wilson getting some much-needed playing time. You guys also both mentioned Francis and Cryer. They were definitely the stars for UH. Francis with 10.6 rebounds, three blocks and a player box score plus minus of 20.5. So he was the man. Cryer got out of his shooting slump, finally, right? 16 points, four assists, as you mentioned. He's four for 10 from three-point range. I'll take that. And he was a plus minus, plus 19.8 for the game. And a special shout-out to Ramon Walker, who was a plus 14.9 in 19 meaningful minutes, spelling the starters. Now, Malik, I know you guys have mentioned Malik as well. He played 22 minutes. I will fully admit he did much better playing more team-oriented ball. But quite honestly, I, I still felt like he looked for a shot way too much, especially in garbage time. And then when you look at his player box score plus minus, he was a minus 1.3 for the game in the year. And this is really going to be an example that I want to highlight for folks that listen in since there's been so much debate on the fan boards around the value of the player box score plus minus stat. Obviously, I'm a big fan because though it's not perfect, it tries to account for your overall box score contribution to winning. So you aren't blinded, right, by simple stats like, let's say, Malik's 8.7 rebounds and you think he did great. But then you ignore, let's say, the four fouls and two turnovers in 22 minutes. And another example, not one of our players, but Khalif Battle at Arkansas. Right? A notorious stat sufferer that doesn't contribute to winning. He's a minus six point five in SEC conference play. So even though he may be contributing over eleven points and three rebounds per game, he does not contribute to winning. Now I'll get off my soapbox, and if we look specifically at the UCF game from an advanced analytics perspective, our offense, as you guys had highlighted, was actually pretty bad. <laughs> you know, we we were forty percent effective field goal percentage versus our Norm for the year at 50. So we were 10 points off. And again, I'm going to give credit to UCF's defense. We also didn't offensive rebound close to standard. We were at 23.8% versus our norm of 40.9%. But again, i highlighted that was going to be a challenge as well because... They are one of the top defensive rebounding teams in the country, but we protected the ball extremely well with only 12.6% turnover rate. And that's even better than what we've done throughout the season. But again, the story was all about a historic night on D UCF shot an anemic 21% effective field goal percentage. That's 20 points below our standard of 41% that we've been limiting folks to. And we're number one in the country at that 41% rate, right? We forced them to 23.6% turnovers right at our standard, and we blocked almost one third of their two point shots. And that's 10 points above our number one ranking block shot percentages for the season. Given the stage and situation, just a historic defensive performance after taking two conference losses before this game. But as we've experienced in our inaugural season in the Big 12, there's no time to celebrate in the Big 12 because it was another quick turnaround for a road trip for a Tuesday showdown with number 21 ranked BYU with their number two most prolific three-point offense and number 23 adjusted efficiency on the defensive side as well. But a big hat off to Coach Sampson and the coaching staff for getting the kids ready for a quick turnaround facing a unique offense and over 16,000 hostile fans on the road as our Cougars ground out a 75 to 68 win over BYU on the road. Bill, why don't you kick things off and tell us what you think about this game?
2: Well, we won 75-68 and and I need to apologize, especially those who live by my predictions and and put money on it. I predicted us to win 75-67 and I'd like to go back and take a look and see if maybe, I don't know, uh, Waterman, Khalifa, <laughs> Robinson, somebody had their toe on the line Not when annoyed. they get three because <laughs> I'm stunned that I didn't get that one right but uh, because That's I have awesome. focused on BYU. But uh, as I've kind of professed, BYU is a really dangerous team, and, and yeah. I can't believe I'm saying this as someone who never turned down an open or probably even a contested three-point look. <laughs> but the fact that they shot so many has definitely hurt them in their last two games. Cryer showed up last night, and not a moment too soon. Uh, we really needed him. They This was a crazy game of runs. When they start, come down, they hit a few threes. It eliminates their deficit quickly. It, it gives them leads, and Cryer was able to step up last night and and hit threes, hit shots, and he was the crier that we've all kind of expected and and hopefully that we'll be seeing over the remainder of the season. We were good on the boards. We got some second chance opportunities. Not a ton, but we got some. We forced their center, Khalifa. He ended up having a really good game in the loss previously to Tech. We forced him into five turnovers. We did a good job defending the three. They they shot 38 of them, hitting only 11. And uh, they were 14 of 21 inside the arc. So just crazy numbers. Mm -hmm. But uh, with a team like BYU who shoots so many threes, there are going to be runs, like I said, and we let double-digit leads turn into deficits. But we also created those leads by defending the inordinate number of threes that they put up this game toward the end. I was getting a little nervous as I assume most were, you know, it was beginning to look a little like TCU late. We committed turnovers on three straight possessions. They had an opportunity to take the lead in their best shooter who we've talked about previously. Trevin Nell missed a wide open Mm -hmm. three from the top of the key, which I I was just stunned that he missed. And, uh, I would have bet my life that that was going in. But Cryer got to the ball, and, I mean, we were just aggressive, shedding Cryer down the stretch, hit their free throws. Cryer hit a big three when we needed it, and uh, we stepped up and put them away. That's about it. It's a really good road win over a uh, very good, very dangerous, number 21-ranked team in the country. It hurts me, Steve, that they're for our bet, but – <laughs> this one is clearly the exception to the rule, and and uh, I was thrilled at the end. And
0: yeah, no, it was a great, great win. How about you, Tom, from a coach's perspective?
1: It's it was a very interesting matchup. Uh, the way BYU plays, I thought it's, it's similar to Penn. Not to get too technical, but they do a, basically the paint's open. They got five guys on the perimeter. Their bigs are. Pretty well skilled. And when I say skilled, they can they can pass. Uh, they're able to, sh- to shoot the three. It makes me wonder if Coach Sampson got pinned on her schedule for for this reason. So, you know, we had a little bit of experience playing against this type of offense. Like uh, Bill said, they shoot a crap ton of threes. Matter of fact, they shot 46 threes against Cincinnati. Yeah, nuts. They were 13 for 46. And I don't know if anybody uh, watched a little bit of uh, – Coach Mark Pope's uh, press conference. But I did. He was talking about trying to find some balance. He wants them to shoot without a conscience, but at, the, but at the same time, they live by the three. They die by the three. They hit some crazy threes, but they also throw up some, you know, I call it a vomit offense. It's uh, yeah. one pass and you throw it up. Jackson Robinson did that a couple of times. Yep. You know, and you're not making the defense work. And, you know, if you... One pass and the shot goes up against a set defense. You're probably not going to get an offensive rebound because you haven't moved the defense. And now you got to go back and play defense again. BYU has so many sets, plays, entries. It has to be what I call expensive. In other words, you have to use so much practice time to be just good on offense. You know, when when you're doing this, you're not doing something else uh, like, you know, working on rebounding and working on defense. So... It was hostile environment. I, I want to ask uh, Ryan, you know, if he could c- compare like Hilton Coliseum with the Marriott because I know when we played Iowa State that the students weren't back. Yeah, you know, it's going to be a totally different atmosphere at, at Hilton with the students coming. Just a gutty win on the road. For full disclosure here, I I had my own game last night, so I watched the replay and I knew the score. You know before i watched it so it was <laughs> well, <that's alleviated>, stressful <laughs> it alleviated uh, a lot of anxiety i think yeah i think when they tied it up at sixty eight, sixty eight, i went back to my phone and it's like okay did we really win <laughs> <laughs> i had to double check uh just just make sure i thought it was also interesting that they did a little uh hack of jawan at the end when yeah. it was 68 68 they just uh Hack him on purpose, put him on the line, and I think what well, jo- jo- Joan made one right, one front of two, of, yeah, yeah. yeah He first. made the front end of the one and one, and then and then missed yeah. the second. Just an interesting game. It's a contrast of styles. I don't think anybody's mentioned this. Uh, you know, I listened to a couple other podcasts, but you have to look at BYU's Asian experience. Dalen Hall, you know, he's a sophomore, but he's twenty one years old. You know, he served on a mm-hmm a two year mission, mission. Richie, Sa- Richie Saunders another sophomore he's 21 or 22 you know he's high school class of 2020 Trevin Nell is a redshirt junior he's got another year left he's 25 years old
0: yeah these are um, all full-grown men
1: right yeah uh, and even Noah Waterman who I don't think is a Mormon you know he's class of 2019 so he's he's like 22 23 you know the 611 kid and Spencer Johnson another one that went on a mission uh He's 25 or 26. He's a senior. And then they have a couple of, they have a guy off the bench that didn't play, but, you know, he'll be like 45 when he graduates. They're big guys. Uh, Khalifa, excellent, like, trigger man, you know, for that type of offense. Mark Pope did mention uh, he probably should have put Treore in there earlier. Earlier, uh, yeah. Because we started to switch. And when you switch, you get like Javier on, you know, maybe Dalen Hall. And then, you know, we have somebody like Dunn or Emmanuel on their
0: – Traore. But, yeah.
1: but, but, you know, Khalifa, yeah, Khalifa doesn't play. You know, he doesn't play down low. Down either. low, yeah. yeah.
2: No, and, but Treori definitely does. Yeah, and he it, does. Traore, and, they, and they did score inside late with him. Uh, yep. Which Pope makes me think, why, why the wouldn't top they top do top that top. more during the game?
1: Yeah. It's because they shoot so many threes. But another thing about Khalifa and Traore, uh they definitely haven't met Alan Bishop, our shooting <laughs> guy. <laughs> they look like they had some in their pants. I don't know, but Pillsbury Doughboy, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah type physique. They kind of look like uh, dudes at the YMCA, but yeah, good players. I had fun watching that game. You know, a lot more fun when you <laughs> when you when you know the score and get all this <laughs> uh, all this angst going. Nice win and. I just hope we don't go back and later in the conference schedule and and wish we had that Iowa State TCU game back. No,
0: nah, you, you never yeah. look backwards. Never look backwards. You just got to yeah. learn from it and yeah, you, and you just win, we're, right?
2: We're yeah. gonna be okay. The teams at the top of the the conference right now, I'll say one of them does not deserve to be there. And, and Steve, I, and I'm not referring to <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm not referring to
0: Tech,
2: okay. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to them. Yeah. We'll, we'll Bill, get to the you know, team shortly. One,
1: okay. one of them might be going down tonight because right now yep. Iowa State has a ten-point lead on Kansas State at, at Hilton, and I'm sure Hilton's tough. Yeah, pretty full tonight. Yeah, so they're getting yeah. State's getting the full Hilton magic experience tonight. Awesome,
0: no surprise.
1: I mean, so for
0: me, watching this game, and, and before I forget, I just wanted to make sure I remember to state that, hey, I think this was the only game that our opponent fouled more than we did. And that was, and we were on the road. So it was a bit of a shocker, right? I, I think it was unexpected by all that we would actually win the the foul count, right, so to speak. Starters remained the same. Things started very evenly going back and forth in the first half of the game until we started pulling away at under the four-minute mark, playing tough D and offensive rebounding that resulted in some timely scoring via threes and free throws. We then further extended the lead early in the second half and then basically held on for a life for the win with some discipline play at the end for the seven point win on the road for our very first big 12 road win of the season. As you guys both mentioned, Cryer was the star with his second strong game in a row to definitively break out of his shooting slump. He had 23 points, five of nine from three point range four of four from the free throw line and four rebounds and was a plus 19.9 player box score plus minus for the game. And he really aggressively looked to score the entire game. But it was a total team effort, quite honestly, as we got positive contributions from Shedd, who had 16 points for assists. Roberts was active, 5.7 rebounds. And Dunn definitely did much better than the previous game, feeling more comfortable now as each game goes by with 10 points, 2 of 4 from 3-point range, and a plus 11.3 player box score plus minus. And I cannot forget Javier Francis, who has turned in strong, consistent performance in all six conference games. He was a plus 5.6 for the game. And Sharp, who did not shoot well, and quite honestly, he's in a bit of a shooting slump himself, but he still found other ways to contribute playing D and you know pulling down nine rebounds for his size, which was fantastic. As you dig into the advanced analytics from Ken Palm on offense, we played a very efficient game to keep up with BYU. Our effective field goal percentage was to standard at around 49%. We protected the ball well with turnover rate at about 14%, which is right at standard for the year as well. And, you know, for a big 12 opponent, we also offensive rebounded to standard and to top it off we shot over 43% from three-point range, well above our 35% norm. On D, though the stats might not show up, we played a very sound game, staying in front and challenging BYU on their threes. Though BYU shot well overall with a 52% effective field goal percentage, and that was, what, 10 points higher than our norm for the year, And sometimes we actually lost their shooters at points in time in transition, especially late in the second half. However, the flip side is we limited BYU to 29% from three-point range, which is basically their staple and well below their conversion rate this season of 37%. So big, big week for our Cougars with two critical conference wins that kept us within half a game with a lead in the standings and some continued strong play by Dunn and Francis. But in the no conference for old men, Big 12, the heavyweight bouts keep coming with tough upcoming games versus Kansas State and Texas this coming week. So why don't we highlight our, our individual other Big 12 games?
1: Yeah, I had uh, Cincinnati at Kansas and uh, much like that previous game, I watched Kansas at home. You know, Cincinnati hung with them for majority of the game, but with about eight, 10 minutes left in the game. Kansas opened up like a seven, eight-point lead, and then it was too much for for Cincinnati to overcome, especially Cincinnati when you shoot three for 18 from three-point land. Kansas is probably the most vulnerable I've seen them in years. They virtually have no bench. I'm looking at their starters, minutes 35, 30, 36, 37, 35, they have this uh, Brown coming off the bench, but he's not playing much. He played 10 minutes. He's the brother of Christian Brown. who's in the NBA right now. Uh, they have a five-star, El Marco Jackson. He's not playing much. He played like 13 minutes, two points. Uh, the Timberlake guy they got from Towson that was supposed to be helping with, with outside shooting, he's not getting any time. He played like two minutes, missed the shot, and wow, he got the quick hook. <laughs> Yeah, so Nick Timberlake, he's playing more like Justin Timberlake. (laughs) Uh, What stood out to me in the first half was how soft Kansas was on defense. They weren't tough. They weren't gritty. And then in the second half, Kansas picked it up defensively. You know, they had a really good second half. went in there. Maybe he, you know, blistered the paint off the walls or something like that. Whatever he said, it worked because – they did start clamping down. How about you, Bill?
2: Well, I had BYU, who we've just talked about at length, against Texas Tech this past Saturday. Tech won the game 85-78. This was absolutely the tale of two halves and the tale of two coaches. BYU was up 48-32 at halftime in Lubbock and got outscored 53-30 to in the second half. Just unbelievable. Yeah. I've mentioned Tech's six-man lineup, and it was the same in this game. Unfortunately, BYU couldn't really move the ball in the second half. They didn't make Tech work defensively and, and try to wear them out. This was absolutely a game where Grant McCaslin, the, the Tech coach, just put it to Mark Pope in the second mm-hmm. half, and it wasn't even close. Pop Isaacs had a phenomenal game, and they just could not control him. Talked about BYU... Was not great at controlling guard penetration. And Isaacs just, he did what he wanted. He, he hit threes, but he also penetrated. Uh, Toussaint penetrated and got the ball to, to Isaacs. Once again, BYU shot 39 threes, hitting 13 of them, but the percentages were a lot different. They shot the ball well in the first half, they could not hit a shot in the second half. It just made no sense what they were doing hall the point guard had several drives to the basket where he was almost uncontested but he wasn't looking to lay the ball up he was looking to kick it out to a three-point shooter it got them actually well into the shot clock they four shots they they just did not look good at all and and Tech really it, it was a lot of Warren Washington I think he I want to say had 18 points to go along with Isaac's 32 and their offense, in addition to BYU's lack of offensive productivity and really any any ability to stop tech's guard penetration, put my dinner bet with, with Steve <laughs> in in some short term peril. <laughs> Tech after the wind sits atop the Big Twelve at four and one, and they are playing a lot better than I thought they wouldn't. We'll see what happens. I still don't know that you can be highly successful, playing with only six players, but after the U of H loss, BYU's now at 2-4. and four. Uh, I am, Steve, though, still confident. We'll see. <laughs> okay, we'll see. You still what, a, lot of, hey, you're, a lot of games still
1: left to yeah, play. I'm, hey, guys, I'm not surprised at how well Tech is doing. I'm surprised yeah. how they're doing it. I thought they would be winning games in the 50s. Yeah, me too. You know, and that's not happening. And One, one thing, Steve, before I'll, I'll let you highlight your game is with Kansas, they, they found their fifth starter. You know, they were starting that, that five-star freshman, El Marco yep. Jackson. I think Nick Timberlake might have started early in the year. But now they're playing this freshman from Australia. He's he's a 6'9 kid. His name is Johnny Furphy. He had 23 yep. against Cincinnati. He's a, he's a lot like the BYU players he saw last night. He's a sniper. Yeah, I think they got their fifth starter. Yeah, His he parents, reminds me
0: a lot of the... Gonzaga players
1: yeah. that have come His through His parents years.
0: flew
2: in for the game.
0: Did they? Wow. Okay. Yeah. He's one to watch. Yeah. I mean, for me, I zeroed in on the Iowa State at TCU game, which Iowa State held on to win 73-72. To be honest, game flow was not as I expected because ISU just led pretty big for most of the game before a furious comeback by TCU towards the end. Iowa State led this game 44 to 26 at the half on the road. You know, they chipped away a bit at the lead in the third quartile of the game, then drove a furious comeback in the closing minutes before coming up short. Turnovers by TCU were what really drove the outcome, with 27 turnovers by the Frogs over the course of the game. And honestly, this is what I had hoped would have happened with TCU when we played them you know earlier this season so really good job by Iowa State forcing TCU into those mistakes as they tried to make that run so it was a fun game though and really interesting till the end and you know what we're seeing now being part of the Big 12 is there are just exceptional games every week. I mean, every week, there's just no break. So now let's get to the game preview for the upcoming UH Kansas State matchup. Kansas State is, as you had mentioned, playing Iowa State as we speak. And I think we're all expecting a tough go of it for Kansas State. Bill, you want to start off and let the fans know what you think of our upcoming game with Kansas State?
2: Yeah, I mean, Kansas State's 14 and four right now. They're Four and one in conference, they're tied with Tech for the lead, but hold on, three of those wins were against UCF, West Virginia, Oklahoma State. They are not beating the cream of the uh, conference. They did win at home versus Baylor, which which is a very good win, and they lost by only one at Tech. Jerome Tang, who is the Baylor assistant, led them to the Elite Eight last year. He's a good coach. Yep. But uh, just like Texas Tech, Kansas State only plays six players. They may lean more heavily on their starting five than anybody, and it's just going to come back to haunt them. Their strength is clearly their backcourt. Tyler Perry, who we talked about before, he's led them in scoring eight times. He's led them in assists 14 times. He's averaging 15 points and a little over five assists a game. And Cam Carter, their 6'3'2 guard, he's led them in scoring half a dozen times. He's leading them in scoring at 16'6 a game. That's their strength. They've really got. I'm only going to focus on two front court players that are doing anything productive. Uh, David 6 6'9 forward from the Netherlands, is their top rebounder at seven and a half points a game, but eight rebounds a game. And then Arthur Kaluma, who came over from Creighton and started out a little slowly, but he's been playing very well. He's averaging 15.2 points, and he's basically tied with Nages in 7.9 rebounds as well. He's led them in scoring several times, led them in rebounding half a dozen times. Those are their four players. They only play six, so we highlighted the top four. They play slow. I think in... Ken Palm, if I saw this correctly, and Steve, you—I know you'll elaborate on this. I think they're around 130th or so offensively. That they are much better, probably in the—I've got to imagine in the 20s or so in defense. They're not a good shooting team. They shoot about 44 percent, 31 and a half percent from three. They do turn the ball over, but they do rebound pretty well and they block shots. Uh, The guards are the. Are their scores, and of course that means Shed Sharp and Crier will help to neutralize them. You know, we need to keep Arthur Kaluma off the offensive boards, and I think avoid depending on how how Roberts is feeling. Avoid front court fouls. I think if we can turn them over, and you know we move the ball offensively, we're fine. This is going to be a low scoring game. This is what you guys expected Tech to be in. And I think Jerome Tang is slowing things down because he's only got six players. And so they're in a lot of low scoring games. I think this will be a reasonably close game only because they slow it down like they do. But the combination of our defense, playing at home, I see us winning 66 55.
0: All right. How about you, Tom? What are your thoughts?
1: My thoughts are Kansas State's strengths are also our strengths, you know, guard play. Argars are going to neutralize Tyler Perry and Carter. One player who might present a mismatch problem is Arthur Kaluma because they do start two other bigs. So it looks like Kaluma is probably uh 6'7'3. So I'm not sure who we're going to put on him, but he's like a 29 or 30% career three point shooter. I just think we win this game. I wouldn't say going away because it seems like every game we play. <laughs> that I think we're going to win big, it ends up being a nail-biter. But I do think we win this game just from the aspect that their strengths go right into our – it's not going to be good for them. I mean, we're number
0: one in Ken Palm. Kansas State is number 57. We're number 15 in adjusted offensive efficiency. And Kansas State is 21 in adjusted defensive efficiency. On the flip side, everyone knows we're number one in adjusted defensive efficiency. And Bill, you are right. They're spot on at 130 for adjusted offensive efficiency. On offense, Kansas State is similar to us. Like you guys had said, they're a pretty bad shooting team tied with us at number 185 in effective field goal percentage and are also an excellent offensive rebounding team ranking 21st in the country. And they try to score quick off of offensive rebounds at number 18 in the ranking. So, you know, very similar approach to the Cougars. They do, however, turn the ball over a lot. They rank 338th in turnover percentage in Kempong. So there's a chance at home for us to manufacture quick points in transition after turnovers. Then you match that up with our number one effective field goal percentage D that defends every shot. Our number one defensive team in defending the two-point shot and blocking shots and number two in steals. And I think our defense matches up really well with how Kansas State wants to play on offense. On the flip side, Kansas State is excellent at defending the two-point shot, ranking 25th, and really good at blocking shots as well, ranking 54th. A key for us, again, will be our three-point shooting and how much we can turn them over to manufacture points in transition. Based on the metrics, I was surprised to see that this should be roughly a 16-point win. I know they're traveling after being on the road at Iowa State today, but that's a lot of points, and I think it will be closer. So I'm predicting about a nine-point win, where we try to test their legs a bit after being on the road. So now let's get to previewing the upcoming UH UH-Texas matchup. Tom, why don't you go first and let fans know what you think.
1: Right now, it's kind of difficult to tell, you know, who Texas is. Yeah, they had the double whammy where they lost the UCF and West Virginia back to back, and and then they bounce back and they have, you know, a win over uh, Baylor, and then they have a win over uh, Oklahoma on the road. So I know. You know, it, it's you don't know. Uh, they have BYU before they play us, so on the road. So we'll probably know a little bit more about Texas after this BYU game yeah it's just too hard to tell they have a lot of talent. They do. Talent's not the issue. It's hard to tell what their identity is right now. I think we win this game on the road. Okay. How about you, Bill, from a player's perspective?
2: They're fourteen and five, they're three and three in conference. This is gonna be a road game. And I had written down almost exactly what you said, Tom. They looked all but dead after <laughs> the, the consecutive losses to the conference bottom feeders, UCF and West Virginia. But you know, just out of the blue, turn things around with the uh, back-to-back wins against Baylor and, and OU last night. Even though Baylor was a big win, I'm not entirely sold on Texas. as I think OU is a bit overrated. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are down on Rodney Terry. I think both of you are. Yes, and, and I'm not. And I and I <laughs> yeah. And I'm definitely not here to defend him. Yeah. But I think Texas's bigger issue just like it is with Kansas. They both have talent, but they don't have the talent that they've had in the past. And I think that's playing into why Kansas has played poorly. And I think it plays into why Texas has been so up and down. I mean, they got just obliterated against Marquette earlier by, I think it was over 30 points. Don't get me wrong. They've got talent, but I don't think it's as good as it's been. And it's certainly not as deep. Uh, their best player is Max Abmus. 18 points, four and a half assists. He's the transfer from Oral Roberts. He's their point guard. He's a really strong player. I-, I have to highlight their shooting guard, and I think I've mentioned him once before, Tyrese Hunter, because he's from where I'm from, Racine, Wisconsin, and he played at St. Cat's, a team that we scrimmage them every year. And The guys that I'm going to mention, I think he's the one that's really underperformed, to be honest with you. 12.2 points per game, three turnovers a game. He did admittedly have a have a huge game in the game against Baylor. He led him in scoring, and he was the one that had the five-second full-court drive to lay it up and win the game. He also, against Oklahoma, just to give you an idea of how he's playing, he went two of eight from the field and scored five points. So <laughs> he's someone that if they're going to stay close to us, he has to have a great game. Dylan Desu is scoring 15 points a game, four boards, is six 6'9 forward transfer from Vanderbilt. And Dylan Mitchell, 6'8 small forward, who's averaging 11 points but nine boards a game. They're both solid frontcourt players. In terms of production from their starting five, it's really those four. Yeah, they're a pretty good shooting team. They shoot about 48.5% from the field, 38% from three. So, so they do shoot the ball well. They don't do yeah. anything else exceptionally well. You know, the offense is strong. It's typically led by the two guards. The D is solid. The guards can't turn the ball over. And they are a good team. They should be uh-huh. better than they are. They should have won more than they have. You know, Amos and Hunter are going to be playing against Shed and Cryer. I-, I definitely favor Shed and Cryer significantly. We're going to get open looks against A&M. Yeah, I think this is a game where Cryer, UT, Sharp, UT, and Dunn. not a right? Oh, I'm sorry, UT. <laughs> same I'm sorry.
0: Same
1: just well, different colors. <laughs> yeah.
2: same, same, same result against yep. either. Yeah, I think Cryer, Sharp, and, and Dunn can exploit UT, both from the perimeter and off the dribble. And I think we need to just be able to contest their shots, and hit the boards both offensively and de- defensively. Since it's on the road, I'm going to say we win 76-65.
1: Hey, guys, we did play against Acemas last year. We played for Oral Roberts. We beat him 82-45. Ace was was uh, one for 13 from the field. Yeah, he's got a better supporting cast, though. It- yeah, he does. <laughs> Texas, it Texas, so
0: I'm expecting a bigger game for him. That's true. Yeah, I mean... Again, we're number one in Kempom. Texas is an impressive 37th, though I think much more highly touted coming into the season. Again, we were 15th in adjusted offensive efficiency. UT is 60th in adjusted defensive efficiency. On the flip side, UT is 27th in adjusted offensive efficiency, going against our number one defense in the country. UT has been up and down, like you guys had mentioned, this season which I contribute 100% to Coach Terry. <laughs> They're a good shooting team at, at number 30 in effective field goal percentage. They're number 23 in three-point percentage, but they also turn the ball over a ton, ranking 212th in turnover percentage on Ken Pong. So I expect us to use the exact same tactic as we're using with Kansas State in trying to manufacture points off of steals and turnovers. You match that up with our number one field goal percentage defense that defends every shot, number 13th D in defending the three-point shot, and number one in block shots, and number two in steals, and I like our chances against them. It is going to be a fantastic matchup. On the other side, Texas is really good at defending the two-point shot, ranking 34th and block a lot of shots, ranking 38th in the country. So again, the Cougs need to hit their threes and manufacture transition points for easy buckets. It's really nice, Ashley, that the approach should be similar against both opponents this week. On the road, based on the metrics, this should be around an eight-point win for the Cougs. Texas will be coming off a tough road game at BYU with a short turnaround. Even though a home game for Texas, I think our Cougs can pull it out by roughly eight points or so. Now, w- what other Big 12 games should fans pay attention to this week that are of interest? Bill, you want to go first?
2: Well, since we're talking about both of these teams quite a bit, considering that U of H just played one and is about to play the other, and I like to try to focus on someone that we're about to play, I'll be paying attention to UT at BYU. Quite honestly, this is a really tough game to preview. Yeah. The UT... Like we said, the two big wins, Baylor at OU, following the losses at West Virginia versus UCF. BYU absolutely throttled Iowa State to the tune of 87 points, then looked invincible at Tech, as we talked about, for the first half until imploding in the second, and then followed that up with the tight seven-point home loss to us. I think Abmus and Hunter are going to be able to, to penetrate through the BYU's athlete, unathletic guards. And I think they're going to be able to score. I think they're going to be able to create for the forwards. And, uh, you know, D.C. and Mitchell are going to get easy baskets off the penetration from Hunter and Abmus. You know, however, I don't know. I, I, I see BYU moving the ball well versus UT. I see them getting open looks and obviously – That means a lot of open threes, or at least a lot of threes. You know, if BYU can shoot well, and if Khalifa can score, do a little better job than he did against us, so like he did against Texas Tech, and if Traore can, if if he gets on the court and can score inside, I think that they can... Generate some offense and and win the game. Uh, the the one thing is, and Steve, you mentioned the the fact that BYU, uh, excuse me, UT turns the ball over a ton. Th- that's just not going to happen against BYU. BYU just not create turnovers, so that's yeah. going to benefit UT in the end. I'm going to side with the home team. I'm going to say BYU 84 81.
0: Love it, just love it. How about you, Tom? Which game are you going to be following?
1: I'm going to watch the KU ISU game. That's a nationally <laughs> televised game at 12:30. Our game at the K State's at 11. So, as soon as our game's over with, I'll switch over there. I'm I'm keeping with the I hate Kansas theme. Yeah, that's awesome. There's going to be some Hilton magic going on. I'm just kind of looking at uh, at Kansas right now. Kansas has won their their home games, but uh, they're one and two in road games so far. They beat Oklahoma State, but you know what? Me, you, Bill, and two others up <laughs> the, the street of uh, Milwaukee could probably beat Oklahoma State. But the other two games uh, they lost on the road, they lost to UCF and they lost to West Virginia. You know, yeah. the, what we thought were going to be the two dregs of the, of the Big 12. Hey, I Milwaukee's
2: know. got some good basketball players, Tom. <laughs> well,
1: well, yeah, I mean, you take two from Milwaukee and us three, and yeah, we'll, we'll probably – right beat them you know uh but yeah yeah so they lost the UCF they lost West, West Virginia on the road and then they beat Oklahoma State on the road so we'll see how Kansas does against a, a really good team and a really good crowd I'm thinking Iowa State mops the floor I think so too right now Iowa State's up it looks like 11 or 12 at home versus Kansas State right now so I'm really looking forward to that game after watching our K-State game. Hopefully, I'll get a huge case of schadenfreude and watch KU go down.
0: Nice. So I'm taking the TCU-Baylor game, the two Christian privates. I always love these contrasting styles of play. So this one should be no different. TCU likes to run and get quick two-point field goals in transition off of steals or offensive rebounds. While Baylor likes to grind things out, and really shoot from three, similar to BYU. Both are strong on defense, though not necessarily good at defending what the other team likes to do in this case. So this should be a fun one. Based on the metrics, it should be around a six-point win for Baylor at home. Except Baylor's had a full week to prep for this one after a heartbreaking loss at Texas. So I'm actually thinking this is going to be a bigger 10-point type win for Baylor. So... We'll see. So that's it for episode 13 of the No Conference for Old Men podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it. And again, would really appreciate it if folks would follow, subscribe, or collect our podcast, depending on your podcast platform of choice. We are also available via the Republic of Football podcast feed from the folks at Dave Campbell's Texas football as the only basketball focused podcast or at Goku's.com website for those that prefer to digest the content that way. We appreciate the continued support from all and we'll keep plugging away, trying to provide deep college hoops insights for Cougar and big 12 fans everywhere. Also, please give us a follow on our Twitter account. No conference for old men. Thank you all again for listening And episode 14 should come out next Thursday. So please be on the lookout to download and listen to the next episode. Thanks again, everyone.